Eyes Shut Studios presents The Book of Dovis, Garrus, The Pillar of Bellus. Hello, friends. Mind if I rest by your fire tonight? Well, look here. The latest wretch to carry the Book of Tovis. That or he's stolen it from the old man Galen. <laughs> no, no, I, I am indeed Galen's heir. He taught me everything he knew about the book. And I'd be more than happy to read you a tale in exchange for a place to stay tonight. Of course! Don't worry, young buck. You can rest with us. Hey! We have the new storyteller among us. Come gather round. So what story do you have for us tonight? Well, since this is the heart of Vanderholt, I can tell you a story of your Now, pe- Galen was here last summer, so I hope you have new stories for us, and not just the same old tales of the mighty warriors of Vanderholt. Oh, well, uh... Ah, I know a story you all will enjoy. Have you heard of the territory known as Bellus? Uh, I've heard of Bellus. But your rats from Evanstall, who live across the world. I suppose? <laughs> but what you might not know is that they hate Evanstall almost as much as you lot. So the rats hate their mother, do they? Fair enough. Tell us the tale. Yes. Well, the history of Evanstall goes back thousands of years. Since they had taken the fertile lands of northeastern Ivana, they've kept a tight hold on the farmlands as well as its people. Even though they held a powerful kingdom, the greedy rulers sought to expand their territory beyond their own reach. With the arid lands of Dromul to the south and the tenacious warriors of Vanderholt to the west, Evanstall looked to the sea to find new lands to spread their kingdom. Explorers sailed the seas far and wide, eventually drawn to the far eastern continent of Hendi. They evaded the deep-rooted peoples of Lhasa Kaga and continued south past the scorching desert lands of Wundu. Until finally, on the southernmost tip of the continent, they found empty land to sow a new colony. This area was cooler than the Wundu desert and far less inhabited than the lands of Lhasa Kaga. With the rocky cliffs on the coastlines that grew hearty grasses Born in the salty sea air, to the explorers, this was a sign of a strong and robust land where they could grow a new arm of Evanstall's empire. These explorers quickly claimed this land for the kingdom of Evanstall and gave their new colony the name Belles. However, these wary travellers took this land in great blinded haste for it wasn't long until they discovered this land was much too dry 
and called for any crops. Many tried, but nothing else would grow other than the dry grasses native to the cliffs. The promise of a strong new territory was quickly dashed, and the colony they wished for would never be. Nevertheless, no setback would dampen the greed of the King of Evanstall. Since the kings of old first set foot in Ivana, they have sown their seeds of control and misery for all who served them. The corruption of Evanstall, held aloft by the great tiered pillars of their society. For it has always been the kings who inflict their whim on the lords, who in turn order commands on the vassals, who then rule their subjects with the distant impulses of a king they've never truly known. Evanstall has always been home to the inescapable system of classes which has brought wealth to the rich and anguish to the poor. The great cities of Evanstall were the largest nests of corruption and misery, like Grayswich, Daverin, and Sherpolt. The worst of them all, however, was the capital of Saurus. It was inevitable when Evanstall could no longer sustain itself as it pushed past its limits. The population of the kingdom grew more and more, and they squeezed all they could from their people. While economies boomed for the wealthy, more demand channeled through their markets. The richer became richer, as the starving masses gave all they could to stay fed and survive. A point was reached when there was not enough food to feed the masses, and many roamed the streets with little resort. Homes were lost, and the poor were robbed by the destitute. Crime and lawlessness swept through the cities, which became abhorrent to the nobles. But instead of investing in housing and food for the poor, the rich wanted the delinquents of their city to be swept away quickly. The city's prisons were filled to the brim, and executions of the rest would only bring more chaos and violence in the streets. But soon, they remembered their new colony, Bellus. Since it was useless for farming, or otherwise filling their pockets, what could be better than using a worthless land to house their useless peoples? The king and the nobles soon ordered the lawmen of the city to ship hordes of the poor across the world and out of sight. Their once promising colony of Bellus was now a waste bin for those who would swarm and congest the streets of Evanstall. The sheriffs of the cities marched felons onto large hulking ships, chained to the decks for a six-week voyage. Given little food, water, or even medical attention, there were many who would not see the shores of Bellus. Each trip, a fleet of a half a dozen ships, with hundreds of convicts, sailed across the world, never to return. 
Most people of Evanstall believed that Belus was a civil land of guarded prison territory. But as the ships arrived at the rocky shores, prisoners were simply marched out onto the beaches, left with nothing but the clothes on their backs, as the fleets returned home to rest and begin the trip again with another lot. As the prison territory grew and grew, the Imperial sailors were wise to come armed, prepared for any retaliation from those deserted. Ship captains often landed on new beaches along Bellus, so the criminals could not easily ambush them once they landed. The city streets of Evanstall were becoming less overcrowded with poverty, which pleased the nobles who saw this as clearing the rot from their civilization. Those imprisoned did not only include the murderers and abusers, but also poor pickpockets and those stealing scraps of food for their families. As the criminals cleared out, the nobles saw that even now some filth remained in their streets. The impoverished still contributed very little to their cities and served more as a blight on what would otherwise be a spotless, flawless city. The lords thus pressured officers of the law to imprison and ship out the rest of the poor by any means necessary. Soon, the impoverished families of the accused were deemed just as guilty. Homelessness itself was outlawed, and oftentimes false evidence was planted for crimes that were not committed. Not known for their fair and just system of laws, Evanstall was not concerned with the rights of the innocent and instead judged them solely by their usefulness to the rich. The city that witnessed most of this weeding out was the capital, Saurus, Evanstall's largest city. Saurus was a sprawling metropolis controlled by many lords, each noble commanding the owners of property in Saurus. Each player had their role to play, and any who resisted the will of their liege would succumb to the pressure of the city around them. One of the few who survived the crushing weight was a man named Garrus. Garrus was not noble-born like the lords of Saras, nor was he born without means. Garrus was born into a family that was a pillar of Evanstall society. They were landowners who had served their lords as vassals, managing land and property of the city to squeeze all they could from those who worked it. Garrus inherited the responsibility of his father to manage one of the city's largest marketplaces, where he allowed merchants to sell their goods with a steep commission to pay, as required by the lords of Saras. As their liege, Garrus was kind and became close with his merchants over the years. And even though he thought the fees were unfair, he did what his family had done for generations to keep the city running. As the poor were purged from the streets, Garrus's lord insisted that he ban the poorest of merchants 
who made little profits and paid the smallest fees to the city. He refused because those without profit needed more help than others, not less. His lord then commanded that he expel the illegal homeless from the market streets. But Garrus said if the market could not be their home, then they would have nothing left. His lord then demanded that he hand over the poor families roaming the market for scraps of food. But Garrus knew these people were innocent of any crime. He knew full well of the campaign to banish the helpless poor from the kingdom. And with his knowledge from the higher classes of Evanstall, Garrus knew full well the innocent would be left for dead in the wastes of Belus. Garrus's morals overruled his duties as a vassal for his lord, and by extension, the king of Evanstall. Since he proved to be of no use to the upper classes, Garrus and his family were pushed from their lives as landowners and discarded in the gutter of the streets. Even though he had close friends in court, none of them were able or willing to defy the demands of the king. Garrus had no resources left, and with no trade or skills or anything of value, it was not long until he and his family were as destitute as those he tried to protect. The law did not forget about his standing, but they were still ordered to imprison him and his family like the rest of the homeless. The law had shackled Garrus, his wife, and his children. Huddled together with the rest of the helpless, lawmen cracked their whips and marched the prisoners up the gangway of the massive ship to cast them off to Belus. As Garrus led his family to the top, he stopped and hesitated to step foot on the deck, knowing full well this was the beginning of the end. He thought this would be the last time his family would see their homeland, the last time they would hold any shelter from the cold, and the last time their bellies would have any morsel of food or drop of fresh water. Garrus stopped in his tracks as the shipmates pushed and prodded him forward. The lawmen cracked their whips and the mates grabbed hold of Garrus. He fought back and yelled in anger, gaining the attention of all the prisoners chained to the top deck. Unhand me! Show me some respect! Do you know who I am? I was the backbone of this city! And now you hold me in contempt? As if I were a villain for demanding humanity? How can you treat us like this? These are innocent people. And you march us to exile in the cold and barren wastes? These people do not even know the terrors that await them. The terrors that face their families. And mine! The prisoners on deck felt their hearts drop as they held onto every word. More lawmen began to wrestle Garrus, pushing him and his family onto the ship. You can push all you want. You can whip me. You can beat me. But I will not stop fighting. None of us will stop the fight. 
We will not be silent. We will do what it takes to survive. You will leave us for dead, but we will be strong. You know this is wrong, but you still keep the evil of this city alive. The guards carried Garrus across the deck, with everyone watching in admiration. Though they shared the same anger as Garrus, they were all too weak and helpless to take a stand. However, they remembered Garrus's last words before he was hurried below decks. We will not buckle to the evil of the kingdom. We will prevail, and we will remember. Garrus and his family were chained in the deepest deck of the ship, crowded with others in the hot darkness with little food or water. During the next six weeks, they saw many become ill and treated for nothing. Many died from disease and hunger. Garrus was quietly enraged, wishing so much more for his children than the injustice they faced. It was a long voyage for this fleet of prisoners. The waters were not kind as they faced endless gales and brutal waves on the seas. The fleet reached Belus in a terrible storm in the darkest of night. Their vessel lost all control as the massive waves pushed Garrus's boat towards land. The ship hurtled from the craggy, splintered shore, colliding with the rocks in a massive blow that impaled the craft. The hull burst apart and torrents of water rushed in. Those who were hit directly by the rocks were the lucky ones, as their shackles had broken away from the splintered wood of the deck, while those who could not break free of their chains quickly drowned from the violent flood. Garrus and his family were among the fortunate, but Garrus was beaten badly by the rocks and the ship's debris. He did his best to fight the currents, but he watched as his family was pulled away by the brutal storm. He immediately lost sight of them and was helpless as the storm thrashed him around the dark ocean. Many of those on land saw the ship had been wrecked, and so they did their best to help any survivors washed ashore during the storm. As night became day and the storm passed through, many arrived to help the survivors and scavenge the wreckage for supplies and materials. The ship had sunk close to shore, but a lot of debris and wreckage were brought in by the tide. They took in as much of the ship as they could for building shelter, and when they rescued all the survivors they could, they hauled everything back to the nearest village. It was not until days after the wreck that Garrus emerged from underneath a large piece of hull, having been buried by the towering wooden beams of the ship. He was unconscious and hidden from the rescuers, but he managed to use all that was left of his strength to squeeze himself out from the wreckage. Garrus had sustained many grave injuries that would have been fatal to most. He could not move either of his legs, and the wreck had mangled much of his body, with massive gashes in his back and his face. Garrus shouted out for his family, not knowing that any survivors had been taken to the village. 
With no answer, Garrus was afraid for the worst, but had little energy and ability to lift himself or even move at all. As Garrus laid in the sand, he thought about his wife and his children and where they could be, whether they had survived or if their bodies would be ashore or lost at sea. With no food and little water, it took Garrus several days to build up his strength. He crawled to the low tide and found several bodies, but none that resembled his wife or children. He continued struggling to other areas of the wreckage, but found no sign of them. Further up the beach, he spotted some footprints that had not been washed up by high tide. So he set out down the beach, following them inch by inch to see if his family had survived and found shelter. And even when his trail of footprints had ended, he pressed on with little more than a desperate hope of finding his family. Over many days at a snail's pace, Garrus continued onward. At night, the chilling winds burned against the lacerations in his face, while the sand grinded away in his wounds. And during the day, the sun beat down relentlessly, burning the gruesome holes in his back. Garrus had very little to keep him going, but his worry for his family was his greatest source of strength. The only thing that gave him sustenance was gnawing on the coarse grasses in the dunes and small bits of water from rain clouds that passed by. Gradually, he gained more feeling in his legs, and after a few days, he was able to push himself upwards and walk on his own two feet. With all his injuries and the lack of water or medicine, Garrus's recovery was just short of a miracle. Trudging through the sand, he gained the attention of a group of fishermen on the beach. They rushed to his aid and helped him back to their small village. Witnessing all of his wounds, they were surprised to hear he was from the ship that had crashed weeks before. It was hard to believe he could have survived not only the crash, but his long journey. They carried Garrus back to the village that rested atop the many cliffs of Belus. When they reached the village with Garrus, many of the ship's survivors quickly recognized him as the brave soul who fought against the lawmen who forced him onto the ship. They remembered how he exposed the corruption and abuse they all faced. They told the other villagers about Garrus and his inspiring words. And at once, Garrus was swept with relief when his wife and children pushed through the crowd and embraced him as hard as they could. They had been so distraught, thinking him dead. Garrus told them to give it no mind as he cried tears of comfort and joy, knowing his family was safe. The fishermen recounted the story Garrus told them, and the rest of the village did everything they could to mend his body and heal his spirit. They all learned of Garrus's past as a vassal for the Saras marketplace, how he had lost everything for what he thought was right, how he fought against the injustice of their exile, and now 
the incredible journey he went through to reach his family. Garrus quickly became a legend, not only in the village, but through the rest of Belus, as the word of mouth began to spread throughout all the small towns and villages established by the deserted peoples of Evanstone. Garrus's body healed from all of his dire injuries, coming out stronger than before, and so he set out to do all he could for the abandoned peoples of Belus. With his hatred for his captors and the nobles of Evanstone, Garrus led many skirmishes against incoming ships from Evanstone. With his leadership, the people of Belus were able to fight against the captors' forces and take their supplies for the good of their people. Like Garrus had said when he was carried onto the ship, the people of Belus would prevail against their hardships and always remember the corrupt and rotten kingdom of Evanstall. Garrus became a hero for Belus, a symbol of strength and perseverance for what the people of Belus must live through every day. Garrus was born into one of the pillars of corruption in Evanstall, but even though the weight of his actions would have crushed any others who transgressed the noble hierarchy, he came through to the other side and became a key pillar of support for helping others survive the hardships of Belus. With the harshness of their lives, the people of Belus say they live proudly and unyielding under the weight of the rest of the world. This is due in part to the legend of their hero, Garrus, the Pillar of Belus. Well, I'm surprised a man born from Evanstar would have any virtue. But I like this, Garrus. And he has certainly proved himself a mighty fighter. I favor these people from Belus. They are strong, and their hatred for Evanstar burns hot. They sound like brothers of Vanderhall to me. Yes, they do indeed. And now you know you may have allies on the other side of the world. And now we know. This has been the Book of Dovis. Garrus, the Pillar of Belus. Written by Jeremy Tommins. If you've enjoyed the journey so far, like, comment, subscribe, or its equivalents on your chosen platform to keep up to date with Fenrir and Rowan's journey through the Avarian jungle, as well as the history and side stories that stretch beyond it. If you'd like to contribute and help fund Fenrir, please visit the Eyes Shut Studios Patreon and get rewarded with additional lore and content, including side stories available nowhere else. This episode featured Luca Antelixaban as Arcus and Ryan Tippins as Grant. Special thanks to our patrons, Alex Nutter and Scott and Nina Tippins. Thanks for listening. Yeah.